Hi, and welcome to the Draw on Today podcast, where we encourage you to draw every day. In this episode, our panel discusses social media for artists, how to use it, its benefits and pitfalls, and what we think the future of social media as an online artist holds. We hope you enjoy this in-depth discussion. Welcome to another Drawn Today podcast, where we encourage you to draw every day. Um, today we've got a panel talking about social media for artists. Um, basically, in this instance, we're talking about social media as uh, promotion and interaction online, um, content creation, and image sharing. And uh, we're going to talk about how social media affects the illustration field and how it affects us and how it can be used. So on the podcast today, we have uh, myself, Mike Sass, and my uh, personal relationship to social media is that um, I'm a little older. I'm, I'm 41, and I find a lot of it very um, overwhelming. I basically just use Facebook as I think it's a good aggregator and one-stop shop to see uh, people I know personally and uh, get sort of industry news all in one spot. Um, I get a little bit overwhelmed if I branch out from Facebook. It, it becomes a little too much to manage. I'm not personally interested in talking to people I don't know. I just don't sort of uh, – that, that, that doesn't appeal to me, i.e. Um, Twitter and, and whatnot. Um, I feel a bit slimy using social media to self-promote. I sort of would rather use it just to sort of talk to friends um, and not be not be slimy about it. And I think social media going forward, I don't see my use of social media expanding at all. If anything, I, I want to just be more and more focused and uh, use it as little as possible to save time in my day. Um, so next up, we have uh, Pete Morbacher. Hey there. So uh, I'm Pete Morbacher. I've been building a social media network for uh, going on 10 years now. I, I'm on everything. Um, I've, been, I've got 10 years of experience on DeviantArt, trying to build an audience there. I have a Facebook profile, which is dedicated only towards uh, is like a consumer-facing presence with not a lot of personal information on it anymore. Uh, I also have a fan page on there. I have a Twitter account. I link those together. I've got an Instagram where I post pictures of sketches as well as vacation photos and meals and stuff that I don't post anything. I don't post my kids on it. So um, it's, again, like a sort of professional, geared, consumer-facing thing. I've got a Tumblr that I keep updated. I I keep uh, presences on major social artists, social media sites like CG Hub, and I'm always looking out for what's the new thing that's relevant for me to maintain a presence on because I want to try to make as much of my living as possible directly on a connection with an audience that I can build through this space. So I'm... Uh, 
I feel like on the spectrum of people who are involved in social media, I am not a 10, but maybe I'm an 8, so we're towards the top. All right, next we have uh, Stephanie Chan. Hi there. Um, let's see. Um, I am actually a comic book colorist and photographer, but um, along the journey of me coloring comic books, um, I became heavily involved in social media to the point where I've elevated myself to becoming also a social media expert. I have um, advised um, all sorts of groups on their social media strategies, including um, one of the departments for the Government of Canada. Um, but I also spend a lot of time helping other artists get themselves online and get themselves a presence um, to, uh, to gain further work or um, promotion uh, on, um, through social media and other outlets. Um, I'm also on pretty much almost every social media outlet. Um, a little bit of the irony of me sometimes spending so much time um, helping clients is I don't necessarily pay attention to my own social media networks as much as a result sometimes, but, you know, it happens. Um, but overall, um, I really like the connections I was able to make um, because of social media. Um, I was able to color, um, help color a book that um, was drawn by an artist in Australia, and it was uh, written in France and published in Belgium, for example. There's a lot of uh, things like that that happens. Uh, and I, I kind of thrive on the whole idea that, the, that we can connect um, the world as vast as it is into like like into such a nice tiny little pocket where I can work with an entire team from around the world just out of my own living room. All right, and next we have uh, Bill Cox. Hello, everybody. My name is Bill Cox, as Mike said, and I, uh, I've been the owner and operator of Comic Art Fans for just a little longer than 11 years. I uh, did build it as a social networking type of platform, but it's, it's become that uh, to a certain degree. Um, it's, uh, it's really something that uh, we've built more as a place to for collectors, but it, it, the idea has really branched out to where a lot of artists use the site to market themselves and sell artwork directly as well. My involvement with social media, for the most part, has really been in the last three years. I, tr- I tended to avoid uh, things like Facebook and Twitter, and uh, didn't see early value in it for me as something to promote what, what I was working on. But in the last three years, I've, I've spent a lot of effort working on Facebook, promoting the uh, Comic Art Fans Facebook page, and I think I've had relatively pretty good success with that. Um, in the last three years, I've also become part owner in a comic book convention in San Jose, and so I've had to kind of steer that ship as well from the social media perspective, trying to get the word out about the show. And I've learned a lot about using social media and geo-targeting references to, you know, to, to do promoting that way. Um, and beyond that, on a, on a personal level, I think I'm probably more like Mike. I, there's, I, I appreciate a lot of the connections that I've been able to make since I've started using Facebook three years ago, certainly it's opened my eyes to a lot of different things and, and people that I might not have uh, had the opportunity to, to meet otherwise. But at the same time, I don't like, I had just gotten an iPhone a year ago. I'm, I'm really, even though I'm very tech savvy, I tend to avoid those things that connect me really close with other people. So I don't see myself advancing too much beyond that, but at the same time, uh, you know, there's lots of cousins that I haven't talked to in years that if it weren't for Facebook, I wouldn't know them today. All right, and next we have uh, Kiri Ostergaard-Leonard. 
I love how you pronounce that. <laughs> um, Is that so right? I'm, I'm the, yeah, pretty, pretty much. It's it's kind of, it's a Danish letter, so it's really hard to pronounce in English. It's a Ustagol. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm the newbie on the team here. I've I've only just recently started a professional career as an artist. Um, I've been active for about two years. I'm extremely active on social media, but I have kind of a love-hate relationship to it. Um, I spend a lot of time on it, but I find it to be kind of exhausting. And sometimes it's like it, it takes overhand how much time you spend promoting yourself compared to how much time you actually spend uh, creating. Um, I'm, I'm, I'd say I'm fairly experienced with it, but I would actually like to kind of cut back on, on the amount of time I spent on it. So I wrote a bunch of notes, and we're just going to sort of uh, read them one at a time and, and riff off of um, the thoughts I had initially. Um, so some aspects of our illustration field seem to be reaching a fever pitch lately, namely the transformation of paid work into a career focused on hobbyist, not paid efforts geared towards building one's profile on social networks. Is this actually accurate, or are we seeing the tip of a wave of so many artists who are and will be our competition and are just earlier in their career path? So what do you guys think about, like, basically social media has connected us so much that we, we're just aware of the, the vast amount of people doing this now and starting to do this now. And for me, I'm just aware of, of the competition now is just, um, it just seems immense. Um, so maybe, Pete, you can start off with what is your opinion on sort of um, the trends and the, the new users and the new um, waves of artists coming on? What, what do you think their stance is or, or who are they um, as a, in a general sense? What's the sort of profile of these people? What are their commonalities? Well, I'm glad you asked. I actually have a lot of opinions about this. Uh, I think there's a percentage of them that are, I, I, I hate to say competition because I think the illustration world feels so collaborative. There are people who are going to be working artists, but not all of them. There's a huge, huge number, an overwhelming number of them. I, I started opening up my Facebook to accept all friend requests, and it ballooned from a couple hundred to like 1,200 um, very, very quickly. And I figure a lot of these people are aspiring artists. There's yeah, On Facebook alone, there's got to be 10,000, 20,000 of them. But I don't think that there's a career ahead for every one of them. There's a community around being an artist that's something that we all love, and there's a lot of people out there that want to be a part of it and love it too. And whether or not they make their primary income out of art doesn't make them not artists or a different tier of artist in my mind. I think that there's a really big, really great, welcoming, awesome community that these people are a part of that uh, is, an, is, is just growing and isn't diminishing value in the way that I think some people are worried about. Part of this is the fact that many of these people are coming from countries that didn't used to be able to support this kind of activity. You see lots of them coming in from Russia and Brazil and China, and 10 years ago, this 
wouldn't have been possible. But now, because of the globalization of the world, it is. And along with them is a country that can then support jobs for these people as well as for people um, from the Eurozone and from the U.S. So I think that with the swell in talent, we're also seeing a swell in potential work. And I don't think that the work pool is being diluted the way that many people have suggested to me, both publicly and privately, that it might be. That was that was one of the things I had actually written down um, was, I think, you know, like our personal contacts, Pete and uh, Bill, are more in the uh, traditional painted, uh, traditional North American role-playing market. And I think it's like um, that group of people um, is obviously going to have a different vantage point of, of the new waves of, of social media and and new waves of artists coming into the field. It's, it's going to seem more... I guess not as a threat, but it's going to seem more overwhelming to such a small niche than what you're saying, Pete. Understanding that the market is growing in lockstep with the uh, with the number of actual artists as well. So um, that's interesting. Stephanie, do you have anything to say um, from your vantage point on outside of the role playing game or fantasy illustration field? Say from the comics standpoint. Um, the, what are the new users and artists' expectations? Who are they as a profile? And uh, are the work opportunities expanding as, as Pete is putting forth? Well, it's actually almost, I almost want to say it's a two-tier system that kind of happened in the comic industry where um, a lot of the older, uh, the veteran artists um, from even as, as recent as 15 years ago, whatever, they've already become established. They have their networks and they've done a lot of conventions and uh, face-to-face um, in-person things with uh, their editors and publishers. Um, but as um, as the years went by, um, there was like um, like mentioned earlier, um, more and more international artists have been able to dabble um, into into comics as uh, as simple things as you don't have to FedEx your pages into New York City anymore. You just scan it and send it off to the next person. Um, that really opened the door. Um, like uh, tons of artists around the world are getting more involved. Um, as for the way the the artist personality is, I'm noticing a little bit of difference too. Um, the newer wave of artists, they are a little more tech savvy. They are um, they 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 feel that they need social media um, to get uh, further work. Some of them actually get quite caught up in the idea of um, I need. I need a thousand Facebook likes. I need I need uh, ten thousand Twitter followers. Then uh, um, they um, with the fan interaction, some of them will um, actually uh, quite a bit of them will allow fans to kind of influence the work of how they should approach things. Um, that that kind of criticism sometimes hits some of them very um, personally. Um, I think as artists we still have to. Uh, you know, take a step back and look at it as a whole. Is am I am I serving this one person online who's who's trolling me and telling me what to do, or um, am I like uh, do, am I better off uh, taking or talking to my publisher, putting out the creative work that me as an artist feel that is right? Um, there, there's a uh, sometimes the lines are, are very blurred. 
Uh, actually, a really good example is a friend of mine. He he does uh, he he his goal eventually is to become a a game concept artist for video games, but he gets so caught up uh, with everybody giving him recognition because he draws very beautiful uh, women, um, almost cheesecake style. So um, even though he has this, this dream of uh, wanting to develop a, a a game concept artist portfolio, he keeps getting trapped in this circle of trying to, to up his online profile by continuing to draw uh, beautiful women instead. Um, so right now he's in that trap. So it's very easy, for, on the one hand, for social media to get you further work because the same artist also has a ton of work uh, because he's, he has an online presence. Um, but at the same time, he's also found himself trapped in this bubble. So um, it depends on your goal, and you really got to focus your goals and, and where you want to be, and hopefully social media will help you as opposed to hinder you. That's great. You actually touched upon a whole bunch of things we're going to get into later. Maybe, Kiri, you can talk to the next point here. So lower versus higher expectations are people's expectations for career success and stardom getting lower or higher for, let's say, new artists entering the field? Um, is there pessimism or is there an illustrator, a young illustrator mindset where everyone is targeting stardom and the highest profile jobs um, and, and a really small segment of the field? Or, like, for instance, I would say when I went to college, we were trained to work locally and, you know, work on, on very nuts and bolts sorts of jobs um, to, to get a job or, you know, not to work freelance. Or if we're going to work freelance, to work for the sort of magazines, publications and ad agencies and whatnot that are in our, our local city. So, Kiri, what do you think? Are, are young artists today more targeting the high-profile jobs and stardom and, and the things that they see from uh, the leaders in the field? Is uh, exposure to these things causing people to sort of have a higher expectation for the type of work they're going to get? What's your opinion? I, I definitely think that it does, and I do see a lot of younger illustrators who are kind of obsessed with the idea of becoming Internet famous. Um, and I think that some illustrators, like for instance Noah Bradley, who has been incredibly successful with his social media and has really built up a huge fan base, is becoming kind of an idol for that type of illustrators. Um, they see how like how successful he is, and that's what they want, and that's what they want to do with their artwork. Um, and some of the Facebook um, art groups are really kind of feeding into that whole thing. Um, the groups that are, are based a lot around giving each other feedback and stuff like that. Um, I've, on a personal level, a lot of the illustrators I've been speaking with privately just want to work for like the big companies. They don't want to start start slow and work their way up, so to speak. Um, but it, I think that creates an issue because it just doesn't work that way. You don't start out working for magic. You have to like. You have to make a name for yourself, and, and you have to become a really good artist before you're going to get hired by them. So, um, yeah. I think that there's a, you know, an interesting parallel to the friend that Stephanie was describing, where it sounds like she's got a friend who is a potentially very successful pinup artist who is being given this image of um, 
doing concept art for games as this glamorous career and wanting to abandon this successful and clearly personally satisfying um, endeavor in light of this image that's being projected by other artists on the internet as being a better career. I think that's a really good point. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of artists kind of fall victim to, that they see all these glamorous careers and stuff like that instead of focusing on what they really enjoy drawing. I, I have to agree totally with both of you. And uh, something else I didn't mention earlier uh, in the situation with my friend there is um, actually um, managed to um, hook him up with an art director for a gaming company to talk to him. And that that point is when he choked because he's so used to dealing with the way social media works and that instant gratification and the whole uh, thing where a lot of times he was offered to do a magazine cover just because they saw a work of his online. That The fact that he had to turn around and show a portfolio and talk to someone else and pitch himself, he choked on that. Um, because he he just he was unprepared completely for for that kind of environment, and I think in a way social the ease of social media sometimes spoils us and uh, and we lose focus and uh, and then in the end when it comes down to the nitty gritty stuff isn't always just instantly given to us it goes hey do my cover for me you know that's that's not always going to be the case. I think it also it actually creates a lot of anxiety for young people because they go on social media, they see all these incredibly successful artists, and they feel like they're not going to go anywhere because they don't have 500 people liking their work as soon as they post it. Um, and even if their work is good, like sometimes they just feel like they fall short and that they get incredibly discouraged by it. There is that whole like image crafting thing going on with. Um, successful artists or people who portray themselves as successful even though they might not necessarily be it um, that I just think creates that's the crux Kiri is, is this targeting of success or this these metrics of success what are they are, are metrics of success um, things visible through social media i.e. well you're successful because you have 4,000 followers versus do you really know what this person made in their income last year, or do you really know the quality and are <coughs> value, uh, judging the quality of their work independent from their social media success? So what are the metrics of success here that people seem to be affected by? And um, do you think people are getting a little bit sidetracked by that? Yeah, they definitely are. <laughs> I think so. Um, I actually, last year I had a conversation with a, an artist I thought was incredibly successful. And we got to talk about our income. And I was really surprised that I, as a new artist, um, during that year had actually made more money. Because um, if you just judged it by, by the social media presence, I thought the other artist was like way doing a lot better than I was financially. I have to agree, and it's not just artists, it's everybody that have a social media presence. Often they just measure their success strictly with how many followers they have. <clears throat> and, then, and then when you turn around and, and look at them, say, uh, their, um, in, the one, in one case, like this one group, if I look at their podcast and I see, oh, you only, you're only have 16 subscribers, but they're celebrating because they have 1,000 likes on Facebook. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not sure where success is for them. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly the problem. Facebook, Facebook likes especially are becoming even more um, 
hollow, so to speak, with, with how Facebook has changed their algorithm and all that. Um, it's just such a, it's such a cheap thing when people um, like something on Facebook. It, it doesn't take a lot to get someone to like something, but they're not necessarily going to return to you. Exactly, and it's something else to keep in mind with uh, your Facebook groups and the Facebook likes is because of those algorithms now, not everything you post is going to make it into your viewers' news feed. Yes, so exactly. even Yeah, even though you think you have a 1,000 people that might have seen that picture, maybe only 50 of them caught it in the end. Yeah, that happens yeah. all the time. I have, yeah. I've got over 12,000 followers on the Facebook page that I manage, and there are days when I'll make a post and only 50 people will see it. So timing is everything, and uh, you know, trying to get people to... to uh, get your notifications is very important too. So you're right, that could lead to a sell, at least in what you guys are talking about with the artists, uh, you know, they could get despondent if they put something out there and they don't get the likes that they thought, but it's only because the work just isn't getting seen in that social, and Facebook's the, the best example of that, where, where their work isn't always going to get seen by everybody who's following them. Well, and this comes back to what Stephanie was saying about her friend, that the social media then is this feedback mechanism, which then is is having an influence on what what you're doing, not just how you're doing it, but what you're doing. And uh, maybe something as simple as the time and the Facebook algorithm um, influenced you because you didn't get a large uh, Internet response for your last image, so then your next image is going to be different or you're going to have less confidence in, you know, some technical decisions or, or directions of your last image. So... I think that's definitely a, a danger right there. I think I saw, wasn't that you, Peter, who did, uh, you post like an image on DeviantArt that got a lot of feedback and then you worked on it further and posted it again and it got a, a lot less? Um, you know, <laughs> I'm guilty of doing the sort of Star Wars special edition on my paintings and uh, it's, um, you know, it, uh, I'm not even sure which one you're talking about. <laughs> it, it looked like kind of the illustration was like this, uh, some sort of cross in like this barren field. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, that was a weird piece. Um, the the thing I, I want to bring up here is that there are a lot of places to post work on the internet. And I think that what we consider to be the primary places to get uh, internet attention are probably not where it's really at. When people think about social media for artists, they think about Facebook first, and then they also think about DeviantArt, because DeviantArt's a huge, huge audience, right? But you look at the total number of hits on DeviantArt, and you look at the general amount of engagement on Facebook, and they're actually, like, really kind of tiny and terrible. Uh, you compare it to something like Reddit, I mean, this is, you mentioned Noah Bradley earlier. Noah Bradley's famous because he was really good at getting pieces seen on Reddit. And uh, the numbers on, on Reddit and Imgur are like um, a powers of magnitude larger than these other social media networks that we normally consider. And I'm surprised that they're not coming up more in conversations with people. I agree. Reddit, Reddit has to be one of the best places to get uh, noticed at all. If, I, if one piece of art on our site gets posted on Reddit, I'll have 10,000 people that day go to my site to look at it, and that's that's no lie. That's, our site usually gets like 15,000 people a day, but just one Reddit post will bring in 10,000 people. They might only look at one piece, that one piece of artwork, but Reddit yes. 
is amazing. That, that's like a good. That's like a good post. Like of um, a, a artist who I work with, uh, Rebecca Yanovskaya. Uh, her last series, she did a series of three pieces. Um, over the course of those, she's had like 1.4 million hits oh on these God. three images combined through Reddit posts. She's had three Reddit hits in a row um, posting on pics. And the first one was uh, over 600,000 views. The, the latest one was over 400,000 views. And comparing that to front page and DeviantArt is like 13,000. It's, it's incomparable. So I heard that Hmm? Sorry, go on. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was. Just I, I heard with Reddit that you have to have really thick skin, though, because people can be absolutely malicious on there. No, it's true. And you know, I've posted on 4chan um, because I believe in engaging people, and I also have a suspicion that the audience on 4chan is significantly larger than Facebook or DeviantArt. And they don't show a hit counter, but the amount of engagement that happens there is um, on a totally different scale. So I figure there's probably tens of thousands of hits. If you post it on, on 4chan, you'll just get um, trolled heavily for everything you do, no matter how good or bad it is. I think the difference with sites like 4chan and Reddit, as opposed to Facebook, um, well, let's take Facebook, for example, because Facebook has a massive, probably some of the largest user base in the world of any, any website, period. However, because of the, the nature of Reddit and, and 4chan, there, there are more places where pe- people share things. It's a, in a way, it's a smaller community in the, in the sense that it's not like, you know, like in the entire planet posting. So there's actually kind of less posts. But at the same time, those people who are on there are much more open to, to um, criticizing, sharing, uh, turning your work into memes. Whatever they're the ones who who are, who are more into doing uh, higher levels of engagement, and I think that that actually um, makes that what makes them, that's what makes them more valuable. Whereas opposed to Facebook, like we mentioned earlier, we have problems where we post something. We'll be lucky if it gets into somebody's newsfeed sometimes, um, and uh, as opposed to places where they really encourage lots and lots of engagement. So, is the type of engagement that you get on those sites? Like worthwhile? Is it something you're gonna see some sort of payoff on, uh, maybe following getting jobs or? Well, that, that's my question, Kiri. Oh so yes, yes, so I actually have evidence for this. I mean, in Rebecca's case, I've mentioned her. She's um, been able to sell originals, sell prints, sell merchandise directly through this as a result of those posts, and is more successful than I think many people who have working illustration careers. And wow. um, without ever being published, I don't I actually, think that people need to get published anymore to have successful illustration careers. I just did an interview with her for my Women in Fantasy Arts series that's going to be live in a few weeks. Okay, so go ahead, Bill. No, no, I just I said I'll be looking forward to seeing that. Um, I mean, I would agree too. I guess that, like you said, it's it's. What, what's the value that you're getting from the social media? And Reddit, for, for me, I think, you know, it, because it drives so many people, even if only 1% of those people, uh, you know, return, you know, there's value in that for me. I mean, as an artist, it, like, I think that's great, Peter, that, that she was able to, she's able to do what she's doing. I mean, clearly she, she's really, uh, made her mark in the last couple months with the work that she's been doing. Um, and that's a great example of, of, 
Reddit actually working like that. Because for me, Reddit Reddit tends to mean a lot of traffic, but I can never tell if it's you know sticky traffic, people you know that they do anything beyond look at that one thing and leave. Um, so, go ahead, Mike. Okay. Um, so next point is so not just about the site and, and the numbers, um, the number of users, the number of, of uh, the amount of visibility, but uh, we will need increasingly powerful ways to stand out and above the crowd. Uh, what are they online and offline? So I guess not just where you're going, but what are, what are other ways to uh, increase social media profile online and offline? And again, we're talking about social media as not just um, these websites, but also content creation and and anything that's connecting people through the internet. Anybody want to speak to that? What are new and powerful ways that will make us stand out and above the crowd, online and offline? I, I feel like I'm about. Talk- Go ahead, Carrie. I've been talking too much. I was about to say I've been talking too much, but I have an answer. Well, if you got uh, an answer, go ahead. But I have, no, I have a brief one, so, so you can go after. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I feel like the most successful way from what I've seen is always going to be do good work. If you do good work, you're going to stand out. Okay. I have to... Sorry. Well, I was going to say, I have to agree that if you have something that's outstanding, you almost don't even, you, you, the work almost sells itself. If you even it really put does. something out and it starts getting shared and reshared over and over again, yeah, you're going to get that huge um, uh, fan following eventually through that. Um, something, though, uh, to more directly address uh, Mike's uh, question, though, um, that a lot of artists are starting to do is um, things like do a set up a Google Hangout, Hangout or something similar and draw live on camera, uh, do your work on live on camera with, and let your fans come in and check in and see what you're doing. Because something um, that's becoming more and more uh, huge, I've noticed, over the years with art is people are really fascinated by the creation process itself. So they want to see the original sketch from the beginning and, to, and, and up until like the, the final product. And then if uh, you can set up a Google Hangout and you can just keep working, you know, if someone throws a question out, you can possibly answer it. Um, that's fabulous. Um, there's there's other there's there's many sites that allow live streaming while you work kind of things or whatever. That's not it's not just Google Hangouts. Um, I know Stanley Lau also knows Artrum. He's been doing things like that, engaging his fans more by doing live work, and he's expanded to uh, starting to do instructional work as well, where um, he would actually teach some of his techniques. So this is another form of income for him. Where um, you know I want to sign up for the for the Artrum. Um, tutorial lessons or whatever, right? And then, uh, you know, send some money through PayPal or whatever. Um, I think he also teaches in a school in Asia as well. Uh, but um, artists are kind of finding more and more ways to reinvent themselves and to find more in- sources of income, especially since so many artists work digitally. There's not necessarily that original that we can sell anymore. I um, guess the, the key there, though, is <laughs> as these promotional tools and efforts get more and more um, complicated and time-consuming, I guess then you have to be really much more cognizant of if that is serving um, potential clients or if it's serving fans and non-monetized, if it's a non-monetized effort. So we're saying quality is its own 
attraction device. And now if you start to get into the creation of, um, you know, complex tutorials, um, live streams that you have to be online at a specific time in a specific place, and it may take, you know, two or three hours to go through that. Um, are clients looking at that? Maybe, Pete, you can talk to this point because you're involved, um, you know, in podcasts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, I, uh, Kiri and Stephanie really uh, nailed it there um, as far as the ways that you're able to attract people. But the type of people you attract and what kind of people you want to attract are big questions. And this is, I think, what you're getting at. If you want to sell a lot of prints, you need to attract people who aren't artists, people who are art consumers. And this is what Reddit's really good for, right? So these talk about these non-monetizing masses. It's like, are they masses of aspiring artists who maybe want to buy tutorials from you? I mean, that's how Noah makes his money. He sells instructional material to aspiring artists. So the more aspiring artists he gets, the more money he can make. But uh, for Rebecca... She's selling prints to people, so she doesn't. She's not going to sell prints to aspiring artists. She's going to sell them to dental hygienists and firemen and you know art collectors <laughs> and people from all over. And so, finding art consumers, art lovers, is really her goal. And you know, I'm trying to do this combination of both of them, and I'm trying to you know do mentorships, and I'm also trying to sell prints and do kickstarters and stuff. So. I'm trying to get it from every possible angle, but it's, uh, there's a, you know, you're talking about future people who are going to hire you. For me, I don't, I don't ever look at that because through social media, I feel like it's a terrible way to attract art directors. If I want to find art directors, I can go hunt them down. They're, they're credited. I get their names. I figure out where they're working. It take, it'll take me less than a day to figure out uh, a handful of emails and get my portfolio under their nose without having to go fishing. It's a very easy and direct process to find these people. So um, I think social media has got to be a terrible, in my mind, it's a terrible way to find client work. It's um, maybe uh, a project has blown in for you, and I'm certain it's blown in for me from that kind of direction. But um, as, a, as a business strategy, I can see why you're suspicious of it. I think it's good to kind of do both. Uh, definitely have a strong online presence, at least at least a solid website if you're not doing the entire social media engagement, or, or maybe even if you don't want to do your own website, just even a, a decent deviant art portfolio, for example. Um, the reason I brought that up is uh, last year when I was at San Diego Comic Con, I ended up sitting at a table full of uh, several editors from various comic companies, uh, major publishers included, and they were talking about how, you know, they kind of like that they don't necessarily have to go through the whole submissions uh, portfolio review process anymore because for them, a lot of them found that to be somewhat of a waste of time to sit there and go over somebody's portfolio where now they can like get a buzz, uh, hear a buzzword of a, a, a possible artist that can work for them. And some of them even admitted that they go fishing on DeviantArt looking for new talent, that uh, that's the way that they like to do it too. Um, it doesn't hurt to submit to the companies as well, but a lot of them are start. A lot of these publishers are starting to say that they don't really look at submissions too much anymore. That they'll look when they're ready to look. I think one thing about social media too is 
um, that it's incredibly important that you have your own website, that all of this engagement you get on your social media should always lead back to your own website because the social media sites, they come and they go away. Um, and I know that most of the bigger jobs I've gotten have all been from my website or from my blog, uh, where editors have, have seen that somehow. I don't know how they came across it, but... I agree with the, the maintaining your own website to continue to get jobs. And I'll be honest, no matter how strong or not my social media presence is, my number one way of getting work has still been word of mouth. Once you're a little bit in the industry and someone needs a hand, they, they said, hey, I heard this person might be a good fit for you. That's the number one way I still get jobs, to be honest. And it's not uh, due to trying or, or whatever. It's just the way it works for me. Yeah, people are so much more likely to hire someone they've actually met in, in person, and that's why conventions and stuff like that are also really good to attend. Yeah, that, that, that's that's what makes it kind of more interesting and more difficult in a way, as the companies don't want to do convention submissions anymore. But um, I, I still think as a hand-in-hand, hand, like think of it this way, social media could be like that foot in the door. Someone may have saw your piece, they might remember it. But then when you actually go and talk to them, or, or whatever the situation may be, you got that piece with you, but you got to you got to wow them still, and uh, make sure they remember you and con- and, uh, and and develop a rapport with them. Um, I'd like to get Bill involved a little more. Bill, um, originals on the original side. Can you talk about how social media through comic art fans and interaction of collectors affects, let's say, the sale of originals, but also I guess, can you talk about the uh, the popularity of certain imagery and artists through through your comic art fan site? Like, uh, is it is it mainly client and franchise work that the buyers are interested in, or um, the image itself? Does that have as much relevance um, versus like? I guess when people come to your site, they're looking at uh, just a, a vast repository. Of originals for sale, they're not consuming artists' uh, social media profiles and then deciding uh, through tertiary sites to consume their work. They're going right to a source where there is uh, an online store of, of tons of originals for sale. So I guess what I'm asking is, what are they interested in? Are they interested in the image or the artist or the franchise or does the profile of the artist matter? What are sort of the major driving factors in uh, in price and in popularity on comic art fans? Well, the uh, I mean, what happens a lot on comic art fans is that you'll you'll find a collector has commissioned an artist or they've picked up original art uh, from someone, and if it's if it's a lesser known artist, what the benefit of Kath gives them is that they can. They can talk to the guy who bought the artwork and find out if they had a good commission experience and then get the contact information for the artist that way. You know, there aren't, I'd say only about five to ten percent of the users on the site are actual artists. You know, it's more, more often than not, it's the collectors talking amongst themselves that drive, uh, new buyers to the artist, you know, from that site. And it, and it runs the gamut because so many collectors who commission people, a lot of them, you know, they want, trademark type characters in, in their missions and a lot of people uh, just have special themes that aren't comic related um, so it's it really can go in a lot of different ways there I think that 
to speak of a couple things that you guys have mentioned earlier, I mean, I, I also agree that personal websites are kind of a must. And I know that's something that you're working on, Mike. I think that social media can only talk about you so much, the things that you say in public and, you know, your small profile on the about page on Facebook. It, you can say so much more about yourself and your work history and uh, the clients you've had and consolidate that in such a way on your site that you could never do on any of the social platforms, whether they're a gallery platform or they're more of a Facebook-style platform or DeviantArt. So I think every every creator really needs to maintain some form of a personal website where they can where they can do that in a better presented format. Bill, uh, as owner of ComicArtFans.com, I guess your site represents clients, which clients in this case would be people commissioning art, people buying art, um, not just people necessarily appreciating or wanting to learn or fans or students. It, it, it's a monetized set of people. So can you talk about the type of work and the type of commissions and the type of things that are bought and sold through comic art fans? Can you talk about, say, the cross-section of reasons why those things happen, i.e., franchise-based uh, versus, say, just the quality of the image or the artist's reputation. Um, so I'd like to see if, if social networking is actually affecting that side of the business, the side of buying and selling originals through comic art fans. Well, I think, I mean, for all the above reasons, the you know, artwork changes hand, hands on comic art fans. We, uh, you know, I, like I, I find a lot that People who commission artists tend to get a lot of feedback if the artwork that's produced is really, you know, of a high quality. You know, the, you'll see people commenting on the artwork about how to contact the person that was commissioned and uh, to see, you know, how how could they get their own and was the experience good. Um, with with CAF, we've also built a lot of uh, like two dozen art dealer websites as well, and so that really ties into how CAF is a central place to promote art sales in general because. We have like 70,000 pieces of inventory from them. eBay gets thrown on our site. Heritage works with us. Um, and then you have all the collectors who are trying to market their work, and then some artists as well that come on there to uh, to promote their art sales or commissions as well. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing is, is that there was a, a period in time, say three to five years ago, where I really had built – most of those websites and didn't do do many more. But in the last couple of years, there's been a proliferation of even new art dealers out there. I'm looking at a site right now that I'm working on for someone new. And the majority of the artists that they're repping are, you know, they're the overseas artists, something that we talked about earlier. A lot of people from the Philippines, South America. So there's, there is just, there's a lot of new people coming into the, to the comic market that, uh, that are, Unknowns and the way they're getting getting noticed is through other collectors picking up their work and posting it in their galleries and these new dealers coming on board and using using their sites and the tools that we have on Comic Art Fans to promote those artists as well. Um, but the you know and the artwork that's on Cap really runs the gamut from comic artwork to illustration. Even though you know the name would make you think that there's just comic art there, we probably have the largest collection of uh, gaming illustration art and uh, you know, Magic the Gathering, there's, there's several, you know, there's hundreds of pieces on the site. 
So we really kind of get a great cross-section of, of anybody who's in, <coughs> into comic artwork or, you know, fantasy art. Joe Jusco has a gallery on the site. He gets commission work through there. Then guys like Bob Layton, who are more comic-focused, you know, they use the site to uh, get commissions as well. So it's, I mean, it's, it really just runs more. I, 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 I should pay more attention to, you know, the kind of things that, you know, the art that changes hands and the people who, uh, who really get or gain value from having their artwork on the site. But, you know, I don't see all those things happening just because of the amount of uh, traffic we have on it. So, um, Comic Art Fans then is a social media uh, site as we define it, um, with images, but also feedback. That's, that's a focused one that really is just about originals. There's no instruction or teaching or videos or, you know, connection to, um, you know, digital media videos and instruction. So I guess the next question is, what are the benefits of various platforms and what aspects of social networks are the most important? Um, so large exposure versus focused exposure exposure inside or outside of your field, like general illustration, generic illustration sites versus fantasy illustration, um, local markets versus worldwide markets. Um, so what makes a social platform worth signing up? Um, today there's so many of these sites. Um, I personally really like comic art fans because it speaks to the originals and there's, you know, very specific things there. I can, um, I can track, you know, what certain types of work goes for, who owns what. I can see the, uh, the reaction that certain paintings will have, the amount of likes that originals have. It's powerful because that's where, um, I'm starting to focus. But when we're looking at all these sites, and I would suspect the vast majority of them are not like that, they're digital, um, what, what makes a platform worth signing up? Should we just sign up for all of them, or why would we sign up for one versus another? Well, on comic art fans, the benefit there would be you're you're reaching a target audience who are collectors. So, as an artist, if you did have originals for sale, and you know the site's free, so there, it, there's no harm in getting your artwork out there and trying to get it in front of uh, people who are who want to buy it, especially if that's your goal. Um, as far as general gallery sites go, I mean, in my opinion, you know, just, just from, I've been a web developer for over 15 years. And, you know, one of the, and this kind of goes back to the idea that I think every artist or anybody who's trying to sell artwork should have their own website because the more, the more places that you can kind of hang your business card, your hat and get it to link back to your own personal website, the more, uh, the higher ranking you're going to find from Google, Google likes it when sites that are considered relevant for a particular niche link to you. It means if it's linking to you, even if it's from your own gallery back to your site, it, it lends some credibility that your site might actually be a valid place to find the same artwork. So while you can certainly run yourself ragged trying to put your artwork on, you know, 20 different uh, sites out there, uh, you know, you can really focus on four or five and, and it'll, it'll benefit you from that because it's really how do you separate yourself from the other eyeballs that are out there and, uh, to get that work and, and that search engine optimization through getting links from gallery sites is 
at least in my opinion, pretty important. What do you think, Pete? <clears throat> Better to be everywhere, or what? What aspects of the various platforms <clears throat> turn you off or turn you on to joining? Well, I definitely agree that people need to be everywhere, but there is a common mistake that I see. When people feel like they need to post everywhere, they also feel like they need to post everything. And the, everyone knows that this is the first step. Whenever anyone talks to you about what to do with your portfolio is to avoid this behavior and to curate your, your image and keep it to your best work. So even if you only are showing nine pieces, um, if, they, if they're your nine best pieces and they tell a great story about you as an artist, you should be posting those nine pieces on every single social media platform you can come up with. Uh, regardless of whether or not it's relevant because, yeah, search engine optimization, but also because you really have no idea where your next meal is going to come from if you're relying on people finding you as part of your income. I, I found that pretty much every really great job I've gotten is always, people have always found me in really roundabout ways. So I've tried to never discount any platform as long as it's a legit thing that's uh, that's got people going to it. Though I, I do, after 10 years of it, I, I do start to get curmudgeonly, and I just, I don't want to jump on the next thing right away. I, it, at a certain point, it feels exhausting. But it, it every once in a while, it, you just got to take the day to go and run the pass on a dozen sites and make sure that all the right art is showing there, because it's it's valuable. There's money in it. It's a good use of your time. Kiri, uh, what do you think? As someone who's sort of like me and wants to sort of minimize the exposure um, for lifestyle reasons and whatnot, how how do you decide where you want to be and, and where you want to put your Internet time in a day? Um, I prefer to find the social media platforms that I feel like I'm I'm the most interested in. Not necessarily the ones I get the most feedback from, but the, just the ones I'm the most interested in. And then stay active on those sites instead of being everywhere. I do have a profile on many different sites, but I find that I forget about the profiles. I don't keep them updated. And especially as a new artist who is still kind of coming into uh, coming into my style and all that, um, leaving old work behind, I think, can be kind of damaging because the quality is just not up to par with, with newer work that I produce. So I find it more valuable to just stick to a couple of, or a handful of, of good sites and just keep that updated. Okay, um, so the next point we have then is not just social media, but but other things as sort of entrepreneurial artists. So... Um, Outlets and additional supporting things, so like teaching, selling originals, conventions, prints, merchandise, Kickstarters, Etsy's, um, all these sort of diversified ways of uh, being a, an illustrator entrepreneur. The, the problem with these outlets is that they could be distracting us from the general march towards doing the best most significant art possible um, and improving our craft. So let's just talk about 
all these other things and how they relate to social media? Well, there's, um, I mean, one of the things we haven't really touched on, and it's been, on, on, in the, on my weekly web show, it's become almost a running gag that Kickstarter is the only thing we talk about. Kickstarter is not just a platform for selling things, but it's also a platform for discovery. When you want to find a bunch of dental hygienists to buy prints from you, it's actually a really good place to go because as people are browsing, people go on the site specifically with money in hand browsing, almost like at a convention. They, they have a budget. They go there. They know they want to buy something. Kickstarter is a place where people go to spend money. So when you have a project there, people are finding it in the context of wanting to buy something. And it's uh, it's amazing in that sense because there are so few places on the Internet where that feels really true, especially for artwork. I heard that it's the same uh, with Pinterest, actually, that when people are on Pinterest, they're generally in a purchase mindset. Oh, okay. Well, I'm not on, I don't have a real big uh, presence on Pinterest. You've just convinced me. Well, <laughs> I'm going to have yeah, a good so Pinterest gallery some, set up really soon. So here's some further things I found out about Pinterest lately that it's, Currently, I think it's the third largest website to drive traffic to your own site, um, and it's just it's still growing. So it's it's apparently like a really great site for artists to be on, and I've heard a lot of people getting jobs from it as well. I've also heard that it's got an overwhelming female-focused audience, female-centric well, audience, which is that's peculiar. A good thing. That's a good thing because women like shopping. <laughs> oh God! Um, but it, it, that's one of the things. Like you go to CG Hub and you don't see a lot of really feminine artwork. You see uh, space prostitutes and shouting demons, right? Um, yeah. If you don't want to do, people get convinced that they need to draw shouting demons and space prostitutes if they want to have a successful art career. But what you're saying is that they could potentially go get a bunch of female dental hygienists to go and buy prints from them by posting on Pinterest, which to me is uh, a far more interesting and exciting career. And I, I, I want to believe that it's true. I want to believe that that's, <laughs> that, that that's happening and that people are having happy, successful careers that way because it sounds so much more satisfying to me. Oh, those dental hygienists. <laughs> the thing is, though, you still have to know your audience, right? Um, yeah. If, you, if you're pitching on Pinterest or whatever, um, you, have, you want to make sure you draw the crowd that, that will pay attention to your artwork or else it will just get ignored. It's like that with any, most any social media that you choose. Um, I've noticed even just um, my Twitter crowd and my Facebook crowd are, are quite different types of people. And the way they share things is different, too. So, so you kind of have to keep it in mind. Um, there might be a little bit of legwork involved if you want to draw a cer certain type of taste to your work, too. Um, Pete, you and I were going to talk about going further down this path to um, being an artist entrepreneur. So you're currently very much big into the uh, the Kickstarters and developing personal projects. And I'm sort of the opposite. I'm trying to cultivate as much client work as possible and move up the ladder, you know, and from you know interiors and cards to covers to you know, larger and larger high-profile client work. Um, I guess we were going to then discuss um, the positives and negatives to uh, your diverse approach versus my focused approach. And uh, maybe then um, you can start by talking about your experience with developing your products and your entrepreneurial 
um, Kickstarters, and <coughs> I guess the uh, the positives and negatives with having to invent a new business model and a new promotional model every few months, and, and how that can either benefit and focus you or take focus away from from basic artistic development. What are your well, thoughts? There's something- there's something that people don't see, which is that I, I do get involved in a lot of different things all the time. I mean, I'm doing broadcasting. I used to do podcasting. I was doing live streaming. I've done Kickstarters. I've sold art at conventions. I'm trying to do all these different things, and they do distract me from making art. And I'm a weaker artist. In uh, after, after years and years of doing this, I'm a weaker artist as a result of that. But what isn't being seen is that many of the side projects that I've gotten involved in have helped me to develop a set of side skills that's become increasingly valuable. And over the years, I've built up a repertoire of abilities that relate to um, management and uh, working directly with artists and game development and um Lots of like skills that don't involve picture making, and at this point, as I've become a, a become self-employed, starting around the beginning of this year, that stuff has turned into the most valuable skills uh, I have right now. And I know that the amount that I'm being paid for jobs related to these side skills is dwarfing what's possible off of pure illustration. So I have a really strong belief in in uh, in being involved in a lot of things and learning a lot of different side skills because I'm I'm looking at uh, my own career path and I comparing that to some of the most successful illustrators that I know that have been very focused and I'm I wouldn't have it any other way. I think that I, I think I accidentally stumbled into uh, a gold mine, and I'm I'm really convinced that the way that the illustration, um, the the current career path for a focused illustrator is just far more shallow than it used to be years ago, and is becoming increasingly less plausible as a as a as a business model. Does anybody else want to step in? Is, is anybody else um, doing? I'm wondering what your uh, point of view is on that, Mike, being that you're very focused. Yeah, I'm, I'm the opposite in that I don't have any experience doing personal work. Like I've been fully employed um, my entire career. I've never really had a lot of dead time or, or not even a desire to do personal work. Like I enjoy client work. I enjoy having you know, my creativity mesh with what the client um, has in, in their intellectual property and, and seeing the results. And I like deadlines and I like um, the productivity that is cultivated through those demands. So I, I just don't have the makeup right now in my um, in my desires and in my personality to do personal work. I, I don't know if it's a motivation thing or if it's uh, – I'm still, I guess, relatively new to doing freelance illustration, and I haven't reached that pinnacle yet. So I haven't, you know, had years and years of doing the highest profile cover work. Um, so, it, you know, I, I still have a lot left in the tank as far as uh, mountains to climb. Um, 
And so when I look at social media, to me, it's it's always this balance of how much is it distracting me from just drawing or how much is it distracting me from, um, you know, basically moving towards these goals that are still on the table for me. Um, so I guess, you know, the difference between Pete and I comes down to, you know, a number of things, I guess, is your is your income the driving force? Is your artistic pro- progress the driving force? Do you enjoy being focused or do you enjoy being more of a broad-based entrepreneur? So we just have different um, personalities and makeups and, and personal directions um, as far as that goes. Um, how about you, Kiri? Where are you right now? As, as somebody who's a younger artist, I can I'm imagine a there's... Place. <laughs> But I can imagine there's there's these things gnawing at you where maybe in one sense you're told you need to move up the ladder to better and better jobs, and in another sense you're being told to be diversified and being an entrepreneur. Um, yeah, what things are I, tugging you? I, I definitely think I'm I'm very interested in social media, but I feel like particularly over the last year that I end up spending so much time on it that I kind of neglect my drawing skills and I don't think that's a good development especially not this early on in in my career where it's really important to do good work you know Um, because essentially uh, whether I get hired or not is going to more so depend on how good my work is than on how out and about I am on on, uh, social media just because my skills just need so much work still. Um, but I have I have definitely seen some good results from my use of social media as well. I've done a bunch of personal projects. Like I, I did a yearly calendar for a while um, that I just sold to people on my Facebook and Twitter, and, and I had pretty good success with that, and eventually that led to me getting hired for um, doing my own um, paper doll book, actually. So it, it led to me being published. <clears throat> so there's like a lot of it, it's confusing because at one point you wanna you wanna work on your skills, but you also wanna promote your work and all that. It's really just a balance you have to find. In some ways, I think it's not even just about the work promotion, but sometimes you there's there's a right now there's these thousands of or hundreds of thousands of opportunities all over the world and there's no way to know what they are. Yeah. And when you're focused on one very specific thing, you kind of know what the cover art illustration gamut looks like. You know what those opportunities are right now. But if you get involved in a personal project that you promote out into the wilderness, you don't know what's going to blow back your direction. It could be a paper doll book. It could be a consulting gig. It could be something that we don't have a word for because the industry, <laughs> like, I, I mean, I'm calling in from Israel right now because a a gig came together really fast that I didn't think was a thing that I didn't know existed, and it happened as a result of a confluence of many things that I couldn't have predicted. So... That's what's I really, great about personal work, though, that you can end up having those like unexpected opportunities that just makes it really exciting. Yeah, it's it's riskier, and it it's 
for someone who is excited to be an entrepreneur and excited to take risks and wants has a deep desire to own their own work, it's it's very potentially satisfying. But I I know Mike, I know a lot of people who share your exact vision of the world who are like, uh, nah, it's cool. I wanna I wanna work on these jobs. That actually makes me really happy. And like it's it's unfair to tell someone like who who feels that way yeah, you should just stop doing all that client work and go do a bunch of stuff that you're not as excited about in hopes that some random crazy gig is going to blow in from some corner of the world. You know, it's not a realistic way of working. But but here's the thing. You and I, we're going to get into this, and I think this is the perfect time, about this, this safety issue and this diversity issue. We were discussing, okay, your current art entrepreneuring activities have taken you now to um, the other side of the world and your current art entrepreneurial activities are allowing you to focus on these self-made projects with no, um, let's say, initial payoff or promise of a uh, specific amount of, of eventual return. However, you've stumbled upon these things that have ended up being a lot more beneficial than you expected and and to a lot more beneficial than the work you were doing before. And I'm in the opposite situation where I'm trying to be very focused and if that one or two clients drops out, um, that's that's a very narrow tap of work that's trickling my way and much easier to be shut off and shut out. So I've had a very slow month, February um, I only basically just did one job in February. So you're defining risk as, as being the guy who has undefined opportunities and projects and returns. And I'm saying risk can also be somebody who has too narrow of a focus. If that focus doesn't, um, doesn't work out, then that in and of itself is risky. So Pete, you were going to maybe talk about then um, the uh, the job and chore of constantly reinventing um, business plans every few months and, and being an entrepreneur, um, I guess talk about that from a positive standpoint where that is that's essentially not risky because it's diversified and the amounts of money are potentially much larger in your client base. Um, you can dig into client bases that aren't as limited as just, say, the RPG market where I'm fishing right now. Well, one of the scariest things that I've done in a long time was hitting the start button on my Kickstarter. Uh, there was such a real possibility of failure in a way that was meaningfully meaningful and hurtful to me, like if it really did fail. Um, and it felt like this huge, crazy risk, and uh, that was – it was exhilarating at the same time. You know, I had to pump myself up. I had to, like, get the whole thing ready and go run around the block before I could even, like, click the button because it was it was so frightening and exhilarating to, to put myself out there like that. Um, I, I don't know how many people saw it. I had a Kickstarter video where I was being very, very candid, and uh, I had been privately putting a lot of hopes on this project. So if it, if it was a failure, then it was, like, a – it was a deep personal failure. Um but uh, it's like 
I, I get a lot out of an experience where I have the potential to fail super hard. It, there's this whole arc to it where at first it's terrible and then it's amazing. And then afterwards I look back on it all starry-eyed and I'm glad I did it. And um, I have a feeling that no matter how long I'm working in this at art, I'm going to figure out some new way of finding a ledge, finding some ledge to jump off of because constantly evolving market. And uh, I, I think even if I come across some super stable form of work that pays out great that I enjoy for the most part, I'm probably going to keep doing this because that's just sort of the nature. That's, that's my nature, and that's the thing that I'm getting the most out of in the end is, um, you know. I think that's really uh, important because, <laughs> you know, as, as somebody who, like I said, has been fully employed either through a job or through um, constant, constant uh, client work, it seems stable, but you're not building any equity when you're doing these jobs. They're in the door and out the door. And as soon as you have your paycheck, that's the end of that equation. You haven't built any seniority with that client. You haven't built any um, quid pro quo where I've worked for you for five years, so now um, you know I have tenure. I get to continue working for you ahead of, of new artists. You know, you, You're never really in a position of stability when you're working on a job-in, job-out basis. Whereas you, Pete, if everything you do comes back to you personally where you're fully credited and you're a diversified owner of your content, over time, you know, maybe at the beginning of your career doing this, it seems a bit risky, but over time you're going to own all your content. You're going to own a vast repository of experiences and and materials and and in the end even though i've been very stably employed once that tap gets shut off i'm left with nothing i've left with no personal work i'm left with um you know no equity with these clients if if they stop calling me that's it i have no control over it and that's the reason i don't work for uh Applebot on legend of the cryptids um there's no credit, there's no royalty, there's no uh, reputation, there's no, no fan base. You get a paycheck and then you spend your time, like your your time which never comes back to you ever again. And then you get a paycheck and you spend that paycheck on boring, banal things to keep your life going. And it's not enough to be able to save for retirement. Like, it... It's like um, it's like a mulligan for your time, and I think that there's more interesting and more effective ways to spend your time than to just grind out a job for a paycheck, even if it's a good paycheck. I, I'm there so. exactly too. I've reached that point where I I can't push pixels around for money anymore. It's just it's just too too much like manual labor. I need to get something extra out of that equation and, and that right now to me is is the originals and uh, owning things which can increase in value and having a, a format for the work which 
can be different every single time. It's not just pixels on a stylus in a program. It, it can be uh, a painting on canvas. It can be painting on panel. It can be a big painting. Or it can be a small painting. There's just um, new equations in my work now that make it interesting and, and make it um, potentially much more valuable. Um, so now uh, getting back to then the limits of digital illustration and the digital world. We touched on this a little bit about, what did you call it, Peter? Um, space hookers and screaming demons? <laughs> so, I believe I called them space prostitutes, but space yeah, pretty much. Okay. So if you're engaged only digitally, is, is there possibly a problem that you're plugged in all the time, not just to your computer, to your creation program, but you're also plugged into your reference much more. And that can possibly lead to a sameness trap and being too in touch with trends um, rather than having, you know, the beneficial quiet time of, of sitting just at a board working on your own work and developing your own hand. So can you guys talk about, uh, maybe Stephanie, start with this, about um, pure digital engagement and, and the traps inherent in that? Uh, one of the easiest one is when you get into your, your loop or whatever, and then, and then you, you didn't, you actually realize, wait, I didn't see the sun today or something like that because <laughs> you've done all your business online, everything from, um, buying nibs from your stylist to, um, landing that next contract kind of thing. And, and, and it's like, and then that's like the most easy, it's the most simplest thing that happens to people is just that, oh, wait a minute, I stopped engaging with people. An extension of that would be, as I mentioned earlier, um, where some of the artists, they, they're so used to the way the social media networking works, they forget what it's like to talk to a real art director, for example, when, when, the, when, they, when it comes down to landing a contract. So, so then... Um, like they're so used to to just like something goes up online, they get a bunch of likes, and someone says, "Hey, I like your work. Do you want to do a cover for me?" And then when they actually want to land a job that they're interested in and have to compete for it, they they lost that edge. That they they don't know how to present themselves anymore. Carrie, what are your thoughts? Um, I'm I've been really torn because of Ilixcon mainly actually been really torn between developing my. Uh, digital work over my um, what's it called traditional work because <laughs> um, I I feel like traditional work has this something that you can never achieve in digital work like it just has this kind of charm about it because it's it's a real thing that no matter how amazing a digital illustrator you are it's just never going to have that thing um and that kind of makes me want to do traditional work more so than digital work. Um, but a lot of what my, my portfolio at Current is fully digitally based. Um, and I'm, because I've had a lot more practice digitally, I'm a lot uh, better at drawing digitally than I am um, traditionally. So that's what I get hired on currently. Um, and my brain is getting sidetracked. What was the question? <laughs> Just talking about the, the pitfalls of being purely digital, the pitfalls of of uh, the sameness trap and, and the reference, yeah, so and and also the social media effects. Like, 
the vast amount of peers and other artists out there, their opinions, their likes, all this sort of stuff really influencing you from not being a unique artist. Yeah, so a, lo- a lot of digital work ends up looking the same in a way. Um, I I both agree and disagree with that because I feel like to some extent you're always going to be able to see the artist's hand in there, and but perhaps more so with concept art where it is a very specific style that you're developing. Um, a lot of it ends up looking the same. Um, and for me, it is a big problem working on the computer, always having the internet just one click away, because I get so easily distracted by it. Um, and the same with references, you kind of get used to that you can always just go to Google or whatever if there's something you just need to look up what it looks like. Um, so you end up not practicing that part of your brain that's just kind of your visual library and, and how do I actually draw this out myself before I start looking for the reference. Um, and I think that's a, that that's definitely a concern and something I think is important to kind of practice just drawing on your own and not using a reference. I guess um, there's there's too many paths digitally to achieving a result. Yeah. Um, that is like you're everyone else's kind of missing result. the craft in a way. Mm-hmm. There is like a whole different craft when you can actually sit down and and do it in hand. So if if producing traditional art then, I mean that's that's my personal outlet for growth and differentiation. Um, maybe Bill, you can talk to this too. You've now developed a new site called Infected by Art. I'll let you sort of um, describe what that is. But how can you, how can Infected by Art and the things you see in social networking um, go hand in hand to enhance um, traditional art as an outlet for differentiation and increased value? I don't know if the infected is probably the, you know, like the best example for increasing traditional art over um, digital art per se, since it really encompasses both uh, you know, types of, of artwork being created. I mean, but it's a, a social network, though, that is not, you know, 30,000 digital artists and, right. and 20 traditional artists. The, it's more like a... 80, 20, 60, 40 split between sure, traditional. Sure. So that's right. a vastly different um, numerical connection than exists in on other portfolio sites. True. I mean, being a traditional artist myself and uh, enjoying collecting original artwork, I, I mean, my, my bent is always going to be on being able to collect originals and see originals. It, it doesn't lessen my appreciation for... The, the digital artwork at all. It's just that's 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 my that's what I tend to uh, gravitate towards. Um, and I mean, I think for I think there's just so, there's there's a big challenge there. I can I, as far as like what would best thing to produce because so many artists, at least comic artists today, you know, they get their page rate and then they get to sell all that artwork afterwards and and they they just you know they're doing really well financially and it's working for a client and i mean and i know that like the work that you, you you've done uh recently you, know, you kind of get the same thing but um you know i'm just to me that the digital side of the world too would be you know i work i'm self-employed i've been that way for a dozen years and 
you know, 12 years ago, it was so much easier to be self-employed working from home on my computer because there wasn't Facebook, you know, Yahoo or Google wasn't that impressive. I was able to focus on my work and the things that I needed to do to run run the businesses that I own. But uh, today, I, I find myself distracted all the time. You know, whether I'm, you know, I'm trying to follow up with something on Facebook and then I get distracted and I follow down another path. I think that I think you have to be you have to be a very very focused person and you know clearly you know the things that Peter's doing is just amazing because he can, he's juggling all these different things and is not getting distracted as much by those types of things because I I would find myself oh I don't know about that <laughs> you, you know, when I first saw you on Facebook you stood out as somebody who who really seen who a was very entrepreneurial st- stood out from a crowd because of the things that you were doing uh, you know socially but at the same time the work that you're producing was just you know it was high caliber and it was being noticed because of the work the quality of work just not necessarily the things you were doing socially so it's really hard thing to juggle all that um so um i'm not really sure where where i would take that or how i'd relate that those things to infected or or to comic art fans but um you know i really think that the you know the the other thing I would say is that I'm, I'm impressed by anyone that can, you know, lead the career that you're doing, but also when you have to do your own self-promotion. I think that, that that's something that's also very different from the comic art market where uh, the majority of the artists that are working in, in that have, you know, that are in comic art, you know, have representation. They don't have to worry about, you know, marketing the artwork to sell it and shipping it and all those kinds of things. Uh, those of you who have to do all those things on your own those things produce those other distractions that can keep you from your work and and again it's impressive when people can do both things and do both things really well because i think that you know certainly a comic artist who has to produce 21 25 pages of artwork every every month i don't think they can do it and that's why they there are so many art reps out there repping comic artists today just because they just they couldn't do those things well, I want to jump in and talk about something really quick because you, you brushed across a point that I find um, that, that I, I really think is important to bring up. Uh, you're talking about self-promotion, having to do things on your own. And uh, I mean, I want to point out here that I'm, I'm here on this podcast promoting myself. But I'm, I'm on here because Mike Sass knows me and like, right, like I'm we're in, in right now. We're all collaborating on making this podcast happen. It's not uh, like. Some of us here are here for what would be called, you know, self-promotion, but really it's a, a lot of what happens in terms of self-promotion that's successful on the Internet right now has a lot to do with collaboration. And what my, my weekly web show is, uh, it, it only exists because my friend Sam Flegel does a huge amount of work on it. And my podcast only exists because my friend Jeff Himmelman did a bunch of work on it. And I've got projects in the works that – are only going to exist if my collaborators there come through and the, the trust putting a part of the reason I'm able to do a lot of self-promotion and it's, I mean, self-promotion is the word we use for it, but it only exists as the result of a combined effort with the other people who I'm in this community with, who I, I trust and uh, who, who I spend time on. Um, there's a, so that's interesting, Peter. So, would you ever see yourself collaborating with people you haven't met in person and that you don't know from um, convention interaction? 
Yeah, and um, you know, the job I'm on right now, I'm working directly with a couple of artists who I didn't even know their names when I was walking in the door, and uh, you know, that's been part of the experience for me. Um, my desire to want to collaborate and communicate with other artists has been um, possibly one of the most valuable things that I've built up over time, and I'm leaning into it harder and harder over the years. Uh, I, I feel like, I mean, right at the top of the show, I was saying how I, I didn't want to think of all these aspiring artists on social media as uh, future competition because in there somewhere is someone like um, Arik Jabrotsky, who's on Level Up, who I met at a convention, and then I come on a show and, you know, we talk about stuff, and it, it it's like a big bump for me in terms of audience. Like, I, I didn't get to know him because I was self-promoting. I, I got to know him because, you know, we were doing the show together, and we had a good time, you know, enjoying each other's company as artists. And, like, I, if I was just there trying to hand business cards out and meet the most number of people and trying to self-promote and not just be there with another person, like, uh, I, I don't think that would have happened. Like, ev- just about every really good thing that's happened, like the success of the Kickstarter uh, that I ran was in part the result of existing connections with artists who extended links to their networks of fans to promote it. So I, 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 uh, I believe that, you know, the only way that self-promotion works in any capacity is to not have it be entirely selfish. Yeah, that's well put. I definitely agree with that. Yeah, no kidding, well said. I want to finish off here then just with a little bit of projecting into the future. So... It seems like so much of this stuff has happened really recently. These trends are, you know, from a year-to-year basis, increasing, getting more refined and and extreme and and embedded. Um, What do we think sort of the future holds for this? What will the Internet art world look like in five to ten years? Have we sort of progressed really quickly to – to something that's going to be a stable paradigm now, or how do we think things can possibly evolve from here? That's a tough question, I know. But Bill, as, as like a, a business owner who is currently working on, you know, making these changes through your sites, um, maybe you can talk to some of your plans and the things that you're reacting to through those plans. Well, one of the things that, definitely scares me about the comic art side of things is is the amount of things that are going digital. That means the fewer things that the tangible pieces of artwork that people will have in their hands that they can collect. I mean if people aren't buying artwork that they can show or just redisplay, then from you know from the collector's side of the world that that, that side really represents, there's just going to be fewer things to display. I mean uh you know somebody's not going to take a scan from uh clay or something that they got and put it in their gallery. I mean, we don't allow it, but the thing is, it's just not original. So, you know, that that concerns me a lot. I mean, you've, you've seen it, you know, the colorist work went that way a while ago, and inking has started going that way. So, uh, you know, things things are certainly changing, and I, w- I think in five to ten years, you know, you might 
you might not see any inked pieces. You, you could still see just the pencil pieces, but, you know, they're handing it off to somebody else to do the digital inks. And then all we've got at the end of the day is, you know, is sometimes, you know, maybe a tight pencil piece or a rough, or it could be pretty rough depending on how the, you know, if the, if the artist is the digit, is digitally inking his own pencils, you could end up with something that doesn't really even resemble the published cover of the comic one day. So that's my fear on, on that side of the world. I think that further we move away from that, um, you know, the, the more disappointed I get. I've never really looked at digital comics or web comics. There's a lot of great things out there, but uh, it's just not my cup of tea. But I do I'm the father of three. My children really, uh, are, they're drawn to uh, digital cartoons and comic books online and things that, probably things that I don't even know about yet right now that I should be paying more attention to. So I, I just think that this next generation of consumers of the artwork, you know, are really expecting different things. And I think artists, at least that are working um, commercially, probably need to evolve with that so that they can stay in lockstep with what, what the end consumer wants or expects. And, that, and the consumer isn't just the guy looking at it on the screen. It's the guy who's going to be paying you to do the work. So... Uh, so yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm wondering if, if like consumers are gonna care less about the traditional work because they'll have less. It'll be less of a standard. They won't know that they miss it. Or if if there's gonna be an increased reverence for it. What do you guys think? That's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty hard to call that almost. Because yeah. even though. I know it's harder to sell, to have originals be created just the way technology is going and then selling the originals. At the same time, there's that hope that we can try to make it up in other ways. Like, if I can't sell one original piece for a couple thousand dollars, can I sell, um, a stack of them for, like, a stack of $20 prints of the same thing, for example? Right? We're always trying to find different ways to supplement our income. Um, actually, it's interesting, earlier you brought up the colorist thing, because uh, working as a colorist, a couple of things that, that that we notice is, yeah, there is an increase of getting just pencils in, and sometimes they're sloppy pencils, too. They're not even type pencils right. that we have to work on. And um, and so, and sometimes, and most of the time, I would say it's a lot of extra work. So I know a lot of colorists try to fight for an increased pay because they're skipping the inking process, you know, and we're doing more work. Uh, can we get a higher page rate, for example? So, Kerry and Pete, what do you guys think? How is the Internet art world going to look like in five to ten years? I mean, we've got almost on a weekly basis a new portfolio site popping up. Uh, we've got everybody getting more and more sophisticated with their promotional activities. We've got so much increasingly competent art being made by increasing numbers of people competing in the same space. How how is this going to progress? I don't think that um, original art is going to disappear um, because I think there is just this deep appreciation for it that's going to have artists just continuously making it, not just because of being able to sell original pieces, but I also think for an artist it's a different experience when you can do an original piece. Um, it's a different process, and I, I'm pretty sure that there's just always going to be artists who enjoy that so much more than working digitally. Um, so while for perhaps younger um, p- 
people just coming into illustration digital is going to have like a draw. I I think that from from recently having attended art school too, that so many of them just they enjoy doing stuff with their hands. So I think we're still going to have original art around. But the question to everybody is, what is the internet art world going to look like in five oh, yeah. years? <laughs> so, talking about, um, you know, the social networking aspects and how people I, I are going to be gonna making grow. new business plans. I think that's going to grow, and I think that um, artists are going to be, like like Pete has been, are going to just have to become a lot more savvy at it and are going to come up with continuously new ways to just kind of utilize their business um, on, on the internet, um, one thing we didn't really get to touch so much upon is, is the increase of online art schools we're seeing. Um, and I think we're going to still see a lot more of that, um, like the mentorships and all that that's really been popping up. Um, yeah. I think that's a good point. Uh, I, I personally can't see, like, I can see an expansion of the market obviously more practitioners and more clients and more connections and easier connections between the two. But I, I can't see rates going up because of the downward pressure of just the numbers. So to me, it seems like... I feel like it, while rates might not go up, that at some point the like the competition that we might be seeing, and again, it's not fun using the word competition, but from the amount of emerging artists that are around now, that at some point it's just going to kind of even itself out because if people can't make money doing it, they're going to have to find some other way to make a living. You know, so I, I don't know how much you should be concerned with that, although with the with PAC just launching and all that, the rates thing is definitely something that is... That's kind of a focus on right now. I, I agree. I don't see those rates increasing. But what I do see over the next five to ten years is an increase in uh, interest in boutique art markets. There, the Internet is allowing the art consumer to go straight to the, to the tap when it comes to their creative material. Instead of having their favorite show, they watch on television that they buy the merchandise for that an artist gets paid to work on a piece of, they can go straight to a content creator and buy directly from them for the first time ever. And this is why Kickstarter is such an exciting prospect and why it keeps coming up in the conversation. They just crossed a billion dollars in funding, and it's, it's accelerating quickly. So I think that while the opportunities to sell to clients who then take your work and then repackage it and sell it to a super broad audience are diminishing. The people who used to be buying these very broad products are turning their attention towards the things that they love most and buying directly from the individual. So while I don't think that the client... Sorry. Hmm? (laughs) It's like Sassel are really offering some interesting opportunity for artists too in that way with the whole boutique where you can pretty much put your art on any kind of product and they'll make it for you. Exactly. And I think that individual commissions are probably uh, something that is going up. And I think that um, people buying artwork in the form of prints and originals directly from artists is likely to go up over time. A reverence for things being authentic is something that I can see going up, and that's going to affect um, original sales definitely. I mean, oh, yeah. I feel like 
the culture within the art world over the past 10 years that I've seen, there's been a definite increase in reverence for original and the sense of authenticity. So I can only see that moving forwards, especially with people buying more directly from the artists that they love most. Knowing their names is, is, al- is already a good thing, but now that there's uh, these opportunities to open up online marketplaces so easily, uh, the, the consumers are going to be going straight to them. And, and it's a really um, positive thing with the social media too, because it allows the consumer to get to know the artist. Like they can have a conversation with us, and and that exactly. really kind of increases their connection to the work we produce. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because we're saying we think a lot of the differentiation and and, and growth and in potential incomes uh, on our side are going to happen through the manifestation of physical product and owning our own properties and doing personal projects it seems it seems like the opposite towards what uh what the vast majority of people are are jumping into versus what we think will be sort of the the routes to you know to maximizing our potential they seem to be at odds with each other i think you're right and i think that um, you know, I'm working with artists through my mentorship program, and I, and I see them running up against this wall where they're trying to be, they have this image of what success looks like. And it's this concept art game development job that it seems like everyone is excited about, and they want to be a part of that. And it leads them, in most cases, it's leading them directly away from making honest artwork and as they start to lean back towards making honest art that they're deeply involved in, the, the success starts to turn their way. And the work gets better and the interest increases and the opportunities start presenting themselves. Uh, I, I really believe that there is this uh, deceptive image out there of what success looks like and it's getting stronger and it's growing in direct opposition to where the real opportunities are these days. Do you feel like with the people you've been working with that they have a hard time handling the rejection when they realize what success actually is? Um, there's an emotional component to it that's very, very meaningful. Um, many of the people I work with uh, have... Part of part of the working together process is talking about the feelings associated with how people respond to the art and why they're making it. It's um, it's not so much just about rejection. Rejection is is almost easier than the reality, which in many cases is people, you know, a feeling of uh, being ignored. And yeah. trying to shout at the top of your lungs and, and having no one pay attention, uh, that's, that's I think, the real terror that everyone confronts. And that's the thing that keeps them wanting to make the thing that they think is going to be popular. Well, I think what I see, too, is that we've got a low barrier of entry. Anyone with a computer and an Internet connection can have potential exposure, fame, and and connectivity to this industry and that's lowering 
the low barrier of entry is also lowering the ceiling. It's lowering the rates. It's lowering um, your chance of getting, um, you know, the plum jobs that are bona fide, you know, career builders. So I think I what we're talking. Yep, go ahead. Um, just on that, where you say it's lowering the rates. One thing, though it doesn't seem to have lowered is like the quality of the work because although the, the entry rate is lower, the stuff of what's being published now, um, just for instance in the gaming industry, is so much better than stuff you saw published, I don't know, like 40, 50 years ago, technically. Well, the quality is definitely higher. I mean, just take a look at a pack of Magic cards from yeah. 15 years ago and take a look at a pack of Magic cards from today. I mean, the, the artists are not necessarily better but just the technology is more powerful and the you know yeah. the understanding of what's effective in these formats is so much more commonly understood now uh, oh I, I so want to talk about magic right now because this is like a perfect microcosm so magic cards <laughs> have gotten way higher quality over the past 15 years You're totally right and the rates have not gone up a penny um no <laughs> So this is like a crazy problem, and it's exactly the sort of situation that you're talking about, Mike. But at the same time, Magic has gained millions of fans, and those fans are spending money on buying originals and buying prints from artists and buying artist proofs. And part of the reason why I work on Magic now and why I'm going to continue working on Magic is because it presents these opportunities to have this boutique connection with a fan base. And it's not because of the amount of money that I invoice for on the job. No, I, I 100% agree. And, you know, getting back to the earlier part of the conversation where I said I'm still interested in franchises and working on client jobs is because I I see that's a, a layer of collectability, a layer of emotional attachment um, and nostalgia that my paintings will have in the future. So, I see my works as being, yes, they're hired gun client works, but that's that's only half of the equation. The other half of the equation is a painting uh, that will be seen outside of its published context that has layers and layers, uh, you know, of sellable value increasing aspects to it. So because I like doing the work, I have no problem doing the work, um, It's it's easy for me to do this client work because I see so many other benefits doing it traditionally. However, digitally, I think that's another matter. Your your work is just going to get buried by the waves of same type work being created, you know, hour by hour, day by day, people all around the world. Um, so, Mike, can I ask you a question about your work? Hmm? Um, when most of or pretty much all of what you do is client work you said and you don't do any personal work do you feel like that your work is still like personal to you do you still put yourself into your work as an artist I think so yeah because um, I mean no matter what your work is going to be unique everybody has their own personal skill set and hand skills and you know I know my my general um, aesthetic stands out as being, you know, a bit colorful and clean, and my paintings are very well rendered when you see them in person. Um, so they're they're unique objects, you know, by a, a unique person. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not too concerned because they're traditional. 
when viewed in the context of other traditional work, which is a smaller pile of things to compare to, uh, they're going to stand out. They might not stand out as much on the Internet compared to um, ten times the amount of comparable project product done digitally, but in an art show, they're going to stand out um, simply because everybody's um, format and, and hand is so much more obviously different when viewing it in that manner. Was that your question? Yeah. yeah. I and think I, one of the things that's really cool right now is that um, you you really get to see when you go to these shows that everyone has a different market. Like the there's different crowds, and and clearly some people's work appeals on a broader basis. But that no matter what the piece of art is, um, there is somewhere out there at least one guy that this is his favorite thing. Exactly. Like when I went to Alexcon last year, I sold two Pathfinder paintings, and the people that bought they they bought both of them. They were like, "Yeah, we're huge Pathfinder fans." So. That's all it takes. They might, they may or may not have been, you know, the best paintings in the show at the best value and the best, you know, most um, broad, broadly appealing subject matter. But they were Pathfinder paintings, and these were Pathfinder fans. So you got that link. And there's just, you know, when you when you go down that rabbit hole of how many original paintings are there, how many original Pathfinder paintings are there. When you go to a show, you know, with a hundred artists, um, the amount of choices becomes smaller and smaller and smaller for the buyer. Whereas on the internet, you see the opposite case where the client has an increasing number of people that they can pick from. Um, the opposite thing can happen when you've got subject matter combined with franchise, combined with the artist's particular aesthetic. These things make increasing, increasingly um, differentiated specific product. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. It okay, does. so does anybody have any last-minute words here on social media and uh, the future of artists' use of social media and uh, promoting and differentiating ourselves? Stephanie? I think the the next several years is actually basically it's almost like the wild west where it's like a new frontier and as technology keeps developing we're going to have to keep readapting rediscovering and reinventing ourselves in order to remain relevant towards everything i I agree with that and i think sorry sorry. I, i think it's that's that's what pete's doing and and i think you can do the opposite is go more and more specific towards these niche boutique markets that are popping up. We, we have just discussed how we think part of the future of the Internet is going to be uh, more and more um, specific sites and places where people can go direct to the source. And I think um, we can target that at this point, too. So Yeah, that's, yeah uh, I agree with you with that in the, in the same sense that if you look at a lot of TV shows on Netflix now, for example, they're going through a direct market there cutting out the uh, the use of networks and th- uh, things like that. So, uh, so, yeah, if we can chase after our own clients, that'd be fabulous. Kiri and Bill, what do you guys have to say? Last-minute last words here of uh, your plans or your thoughts for the future? 
Well, as far as uh, I think you're just going to see more of the same over the next 10 years. I mean, you know, Deviant's been around for a long time, and they're not going to be going anywhere. Uh, people who think they can do it better are going to always be coming up. So there's always, I think that competition for for creators to use those spaces, or it's just going to it's going to continue because it's just it's like you said, there's such a low barrier of entry to create a startup anymore that any you know it's just going to uh, be out there for a long time and just continue to go on. Sorry. So competition lead to things being fractured and more specific now. Well. Because these well, sites are so big and generic, I guess, is competition going to – that's the, the driving factor in well, us finding – I think the – think of it like this. I think the sites – because, you know, having done – comic art bands wouldn't have worked if it didn't have, you know, dealers participating in it and collectors – if it didn't satisfy more than one need. And you as – you know, like Peter's saying, you know, you have to be diverse. You have to – you have to – not just appeal to one set, you know, set of potential clients. You have to appeal to more. So I think that, you know, as, as sites pop up, you know, if they're if they're a, a gallery site that's just a gallery that is really great to look at because it's well well designed. I mean, that's great. But you know, what other things can it do for you know that you know the artist that's posting the artwork or the viewer that's going there? I mean, can they can you buy prints through it? Can you you know from the artist can you buy the art direct? I think that all the ones that are going to survive are, you know, the artists and the sites are really the ones that can can adapt and diversify themselves to meet the needs and the changing needs of the audience that you're 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 you know you're striving for. It's really the same, you know, as a site creator to an artist. It's really you've really got the same challenge day in and day out. Um, and you know, with with the with the comic art site, you know, I've had a few competitors pop up, and it's usually. You know, it's like a, I'll see if some things that they've done better or did that I didn't think of, and you know, I need to like, in some ways, either emulate it or do it, do a better job, so that I can, so I don't lose those eyeballs. You know, you always have to, you kind of always have to be looking over your shoulder. So, uh, you know, that's, I, I, I don't know, but it, 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 like you say, it's the wild west, and, and I think that that's, I think competition makes people better, and, and but also. Uh, Having those relationships with other people, because I, I know a lot of people in the in the programming world who who really help you know kind of move me along as uh, as far as like what we develop and 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 how we try to appeal to our audience. Okay, Carrie, any last words? I kind of, and I know this is never going to happen, but I kind of wish that all of these social media sites would just kind of roll into one big giant that we could focus on instead of having. To spread out on so many different sites, <laughs> just because it would be such a time saver. <laughs> right. Well, there, you know what, what needs to be done? There needs to be like an aggregate tool, something that can pull you know those kinds of things together, and you know and that's why Facebook does such a good job. I mean, yeah, because of the API, they can you know you, you can have Facebook comments on your site over here. You can integrate your Etsy shop into your Facebook page. I mean, that's why Facebook. It has garnered the share of eyeballs that it has because it's so all-encompassing, and you can't compete with that. You know, me as a, as, a, as an individual developer, you know, my wife works for me. I mean, and I have another guy, but three people can't compete with. You know, DeviantArt has over 40 programmers, so you know, you can't you can't be that. So you have to figure out you know the, the best thing that you can do, and then just just strive to do it. But I I completely agree. If somebody could ever come up with a tool that could aggregate all these all these things, you know, they would. You know, that would be the real game changer, and I, yeah, you know, that's why Facebook is going to sit on top for a very long time. I, I honestly think that thing's Reddit. I think it already exists, and I 
think it's Reddit. I mean, they call it the front page of the Internet, and I, it kind of is. It's, it's the one thing for me. I, Peter, I was looking at – I pulled up my stats for the, for the Comic Art site, and in the top ten refers, ironically enough, Reddit – Reddit's number seven, Pinterest is uh, number nine, which I would never have thought. But the thing is, when you look at the stats, I mean, most of those people that, you know, they're, they're, they're hit, they, they come in and they leave. You know, they have the lowest amount of time spent on your site and a high frequency of new visitors. So the great thing is, is you're, you know, in that you have the potential to capture those people because they're bringing so many new people to your site. But when they get there, it's like, what are they doing when they get there? If, if you can't, if, if you can't sell them on uh, buying a print or, uh, you know, potentially looking into your mentorship program. You know, it's all about how you can convert those eyes into something uh, tangible that benefits you. Um, but I, I agree. I, I had never, I'd never looked at this data before. But I'm, I'm just surprised that, that 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 there is that much traffic out there. I mean, mm-hmm. but that's that's in opposition to going to a place like LXCon, where there might be a couple hundred attendees. But each of them is fully prepared, you know, to drop, you know, up to a multi-thousand dollars on paintings. And uh, so, therefore, the uh, the math between, you know, buyer and seller and your, your chances of success for, you know, a little bit of work there is, is much greatly increased. So I, I like the, the prospects of very focused sites and, uh, you know, that that term people have been banding about quite a bit of you only need what like 200 1000 1, really loyal fans you know to make a living i sort of prescribe to that um, but you know my my approach of of accepting and wanting and and piggybacking on franchises and doing client work um, i'm i'm gaining those eyeballs and that fan base you know through the work others are doing with those franchises through the natural fandom that corresponds to the work. So um, the work has all that stuff built into it. So that's my approach. Any last-minute words, anybody else? Um, I, I think that it needs to be said that the ultimate for getting attention on social media is to create honest, lovingly crafted artwork. It's the if you do nothing else, it's like the only that's the thing. Right. Well, you know, like with you, Peter, I knew your artwork before I knew who you were because I, I appreciated the artwork. So I think that you're absolutely right. I mean, through socially, there's so many different things that I can see that I, you know. But your your artwork had left an impression on me. Then I got to know who you were. But it was by seeing other people share it, like it. It's falling in my timeline. You know, the art is what spoke to me before I knew anything about you. And then, you know, go on your site and you learn about mentorship programs and the other things you do. Then you realize how, you know, all the things you're involved with. But it is the quality of the work that's going to catch a person's eye. So you're right. You've always got to be putting your, your best work forward. Sounds good. Okay, we're going to go around and just sign off and everybody can uh, tell your site and, and where to find you. So, uh, Kiri? My name is Curious to Gore Leonard, and you can find me at curieleonard.com. Stephanie? My name is Stephanie Chan, and I have stephaniechan.com. And uh, Bill? Bill Cox, and you can find my work at comicartfans.com or infectedbyart.com. Pete? And I'm Pete Morbacher. If you Google my name, you will find me on about 20 different places. And uh, I'm Mike Sass at sassart.com. So thanks, everybody, and uh, we'll talk to you again next time.